Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Times Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and your owner as well. As always, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like and turn on the posts or follow and turn on the post notifications for the Justin Times Sports social media. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Now, in today's episode, we'll be discussing the NBA and what's going down there. We'll be discussing the NFL, touching on that quickly during the offseason, and we will have our best for last. Now, if you're returning here, you know what I'm about to say, but if you're new here, sit back and get ready to learn something. Excited to be here. I love doing this every single week. Recording a little bit later than usual. Uh, I'm recording right around me. I'm looking at Shaq, Kenny, and Ernie on my TV. Um, and Chuck on my TV. So I'm actually recording during uh, Inside the NBA before. Well, not during Inside the NBA, but during the TNT pregame before the Heat and the Knicks game five. Uh, but we're going to discuss it as if it's not happening. So I, I literally had it on. I'm actually about to cut it off right now. I had it on. Any event, just so I can see the All NBA teams, because that matters hugely um, to the next couple of summers. Actually, it's not just a one summer situation. For the next couple of summers, it may shape the NBA, the All NBA teams that happen just now. Um, so absolutely huge. Uh, recording is about six fifteen local time, so Central time. Um, like I said, just recording is right after the uh, All NBA teams were announced, and I posted about it, of course. Follow Justin Time Sports on Twitter at JTime Sports. Verified on Twitter. Um, not on Instagram, Facebook yet. Getting to that point. Um, but all three social medias have it, of course. But it's the NBA playoffs. Like I said, it's 14 to 20 minutes, depending on how TNT does there. Whatever. But right before tip off of the Knicks and the uh, Heat game five, we're going to start off in the West because there's only one seed room. There's only one number one seed remaining. That's Denver. Um, and so we're going to start off with uh, Denver and Phoenix. So Denver takes a 3-2 lead last night. And this series, according to the old heads and some older basketball minds, hasn't started yet. The reason why I say that is they believe and it's a very popular trope in the older generation and from past players. Um, they believe that the series doesn't start because somebody loses a home game. The reason is because now that pressure flips back. That's added pressure. If you're... Um, the lower seed, and you only got three home games out of the seven, and you lose one, now you got to win two on the higher seed's home floor um, in order to win the series. However, if you're however if you're the higher seed, you lose a game on your home floor, now you have to win in their building in order to win the series. So, as a lot of people say, you know, the series doesn't start until somebody loses a home game because in the grand scheme of life, it goes seven and the home team holds serve every time. The higher seed wins the four games. So in this series, Denver wins four at home. Phoenix wins three at home. You kind of go, well, neither one can win a road game. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those situations where you just ran out of games. Um, but if somebody wants to win a road game in this series, well, now at this point, whoever wins the first road game wins the series. Um, 
because you're at that point now because they both teams have held serve at home. Denver is one of the three Denver games. Phoenix is one of the two Denver games. Phoenix games, rather. Now we're going back to Phoenix in the footprint center. Now somebody has to. Now Phoenix, you got to win a road game because you got to win game seven. Denver doesn't have to win game six. Now, do I want to tempt fate with a Devin Booker and Kevin Durant? Um, don't, sorry, do I want to tip fate with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in a game seven the way D Book's been absolutely losing his mind? No, I don't. Um, if I'm Denver, I try and get him out of there. Now, this series has been a, a very quintessential series on role players in the NBA. Um, and the reason why that is is because the role players in the NBA are shooting better. For instance, game four, Landry Shamit uh, came out of the water. If you go to other series, you got Lonnie Walker. We're going to discuss him in a few minutes. You got Lonnie Walker came out of the bag in the Lakers. Um, Gary Payton II popped up in Golden State. Landry Shamit pops up in Phoenix. Um, Kentavious Caldwell Pope pops up in Denver. You know, you got these guys, these role players, not stars at all, making huge impacts in these series. Um, because they're they're a role player and they got hot at home. Um, you see Max Struess from Miami had a bit had a big game. Uh saw in the first round, Kyle Lowry had a game for Miami. So is it it's a situation where you're at home, those role players play better. Superstars supposed to be superstars, home, way, Mars, Moon, Jupiter, Venus. Um but those role players play a lot better at home traditionally. Uh, we saw that a lot uh, big time last year with the Mavericks. Um, you saw a lot of times where Luca's by himself on the road, and then at home they make 25 threes because Dinwiddie's hidden and Tim Hardaway's hidden and uh, Reggie Bullock's hidden. And then they go on the road and they go six for 25, and Luca makes five of the six. You know, and it's just you see those big road to home swings with those teams that have one or they don't have that depth of star power. It's different to have star power. For instance, the Phoenix Sun has star power, especially with no Chris Paul right now. They have two superstars. Um, they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Devin Booker's having the greatest offensive playoffs in the history of basketball. Justin, why do you say this? I say this because in NBA history, there's only one person to have a true shooting percentage. No, sorry, let's back up. There's only three people, four now with Devin Booker, to ever have a true shooting percentage above 55 games over the first nine games of the playoffs. LeBron's done it twice. Michael Jordan and Will Chamberlain. It's the three off the top of my head, if I can remember correctly. Oh, no, it's Kareem. It's Kareem, sorry. It's the three greatest players ever. It's Kareem, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. LeBron's done it twice. To have 55% true shooting percentage um, and like 30 points a game with the first nine games. No one in NBA history has done 60-plus percent true shooting percentage with 30-plus points a game until Devin Booker did it. Um... He's having the greatest offensive start to a playoffs ever. Is Devin Booker the greatest scorer in playoff history? No. He's getting a major advantage of the fact that they're doubling Kevin Durant way more than they're doubling him. It's easier to score when there's a seven-foot monster hanging out there that the whole world is seeing go for 35 on 12 shots, 13 shots. You know what I'm saying? Like It's much easier to score. Now, Devin Booker's going 21 or 25 and 14 of 18. Like He's absolutely knocking down shots at a ridiculous rate, but it's easier when Kevin Durant's your wing and not Mikael Bridges. No disrespect to Mikael Bridges, but he's not Kevin Durant, all right? Chris Paul being out to put the ball more into Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's hands. And DeAndre Aiden's playing soft. Um, 
before we go into Denver, I want to talk about DeAndre Aiden for a second. It was, I knew why they didn't want to give him a contract in Phoenix. I knew that. Right? They didn't want to max him out. It was obvious. It's glaringly obvious. Now, he's getting flat-out manhandled. Like, he's getting owned right now um, by Nikola Jokic. Now, Nikola Jokic is the best center in the NBA. Joel Embiid's a hell of a player. He's 1A. But Nikola Jokic is the best center in the NBA. He's arguably a top three player in the NBA. DeAndre Ayton looks like he's beginning to quit. And, I, and I'm not the kind of person to question a person's mentality. I'm not the kind of person to question a person's heart, their drive, their determination. But it's sort of on repeat for DeAndre Ayton. Um, he was at University of Arizona when they lost to UMBC, the first one seed to ever lose to a 16. I watched that game. Aiden tapped out in the second half. Now, I attributed to at the time, I attributed it to, oh, he knows he's the number one pick. The game's lost. They were down like, when I really noticed it, they were down like 12 or 14 in the second half. I'm like, okay, the game's lost. Uh, they're not coming back. He's not having the best day. No one on his team is having the best day. UNBC just feels like they're destined to win this thing. He tapped out. He knows he's the number one pick. Okay, cool. And I, and I was right. He was the number one pick in the draft um, to Phoenix, of course. He's number one of our pick. Actually, he's in the Luca Trey Young draft. People, people that remember that draft was the Luca Trey Young draft. Aiden was the number one pick. Um, they had a couple other good players in that pick as well. I think Shea was in that draft. I want to say, um, but there's a couple other good players in that draft as well. I looked it up the other day. So, Aiden goes one. In hindsight, probably Luca goes one, but Aiden goes one, and it pops up again. Now he's a young player. Never really expecting a lot of them. Phoenix wasn't that good yet. But when they start being in big games, I'm starting to start to see more and more and Aiden disappears in the big game, especially in the second half. He did it repeatedly. And then last, it, it popped up in the finals against Giannis. When they had a big blow up. Then it reared his ugly head last year in the playoffs when Luka absolutely annihilated the state of Arizona. Then it popped up. Now it's popping up here. I mean, there's no way Aiden should be coming off of Jack Longdale. Like, it's just, come on now. DeAndre Aiden physically should be able to battle Nikola Jokic. Skill-wise, Jokic is going to kill him. But physically, the way Jokic is just ragdolling him, like that shouldn't be a thing with how DeAndre Aiden is put together physically. I think he's tapping out. And I, and I, and I knew the hesitation of Phoenix when they gave him this bat, when they matched that deal with Indiana. I definitely knew the hesitation with Phoenix. They know Aiden more than we do. They know what he's mentally made of. It's tapping out right now. And now you're stuck with him for another three to four years. It's not the worst contract in the West. We're going to discuss the worst contract in the West. Um, but he's tapping out right now. On Denver's side, they just need to role play a show one more time. Jokic is Jokic. He's, he, he's found a buffet line in DeAndre. He's not worried at all. Jokic is Jokic, right? Um, Murray, Porter, and Gordon get, need to have one game on the road to get this series out of here. Now, as a LeBron guy, you don't necessarily need it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, go to game seven. Like, give the Lakers that extra time. Um, but if I'm Denver, I don't want to tempt fate here. And if I'm Denver, I need to show I can win on the road. Because whether you play Golden State or the Lakers, both of them have shown the ability to get a game in another person's building. Golden State won the game five and game seven of Sacramento to beat the uh, Kings. 
the Lakers won game one in Memphis, and then they won game one in Golden State. So they've shown they can go in your building, especially on a game one, and take a game from you. They also took game uh, four from the Grizzlies, or game five from the Grizzlies. They put the Grizzlies out in five. They also took game five from the Grizzlies. I don't know, they put the Grizzlies out in six. But they, anyway, they won game one in Golden, in Golden State, and they won game one in Memphis. Golden State won two games in Sacramento. Both of those teams, you have to face next round if you get past Phoenix. It is it is demonstrably important, in my opinion, for Denver to go out and win this game on the road. Because let's say you lose it, and then you come in and win game seven at home. And then the Lakers show up in your building and take game one. Or the Warriors show up in your building rolling after coming back from down 3-1, show up in your building and take game one. Now what are you going to do? Because you haven't shown you can go get um, a game in somebody else's building in the playoffs. You haven't shown that yet. I think it's vitally important for Denver to get this done in Game 6. I ultimately do think it goes 7. I just think Booker and Kevin Durant look at each other and say, we're not losing. Like, we're not losing today. In a couple of days, oh well. But we're not losing today. Um, and so I think uh, Phoenix pushes to Game 7. But then Jokic is too much in Game 7. Jokic, Porter, Murray, the threes rain in from all over in that mile high air. And they ultimately win in Game 7 pretty comfortably. Uh, maybe about like a 15, 20-point win. Um, in game seven. Shifting to the other game that's not tonight. So shifting to the other game that won't change. We'll shift conferences. Uh, go to the other series that's now played five games. And that is Boston-Philly. Absolutely huge 48 hours for the Philadelphia 76ers. Monstrous. Monstrous for the Sixers and the Celtics. The last 48 hours. So my birthday was May 8th. At 6.30 on May 8th, the outlook for the Sixers and the Celtics looked massively different than it does right now. And we're kind of going to discuss it in two parts. We're going to discuss the on the court and the off the court. Um, the off the court will come with Boston a little later. We're going to talk about the All-NBA teams. The on the court is going to happen with both teams now. And then Philly's on the court is going to happen now. Uh, off the court is going to happen now. So, 48 hours ago, you were looking at Boston's up to one or 72 hours ago. Let's go with before the game. So 72 hours ago, the seventh. Boston's up to one, you know, or the game might end it, but we got whatever. The outlook Sunday, whatever. Boston's up to one before the game. They've already taken a game in Philly. They already taken a game in Philly. They're, they could take another one. Harden hasn't had his exposing game. You keep it in B bottled up. The best player on the floor looks like Brown and Tatum. This could be a deal because all new people knew the All NBA teams were coming out. This could be a situation where you know you have a duo. What's Philly's gonna do? Is Harden going back to Houston? Is Doc Rivers gonna get fired? You know what's gonna happen? Fast forward a few. Fast forward three days and two Philadelphia 76ers victories later. Including Harden clutching the game in game four in the corner. And then Philly dominating Boston in Boston. So bad they got booed by their home crowd. Later, oh my, and the All-NBA teams came out. Oh my God, the world has flipped. It has gone from, is it beating Harden going to be on the same team next year? To now is Brown and Tatum going to be on the same team next year? It went from Doc Rivers getting fired to is Joe Mazzula in over his head. It went from Philadelphia could be in the doldrums in a, in a short while because Harden could go to Houston to where's Jalen Brown going to be next year because it might not be Boston. 
You know, it's it's the the big jump in the realities in 72 hours. It makes playoff basketball so insane. That's why I always talk about the NFL or the NBA has the best playoffs because they went from 2-1 and the whole world falling in on Philly and Boston elevating to possibly back to their another finals to 72 hours later. Boston's on the verge of defeating, breaking up. Philly could be elevated to their first finals. People just ignoring the Knicks and the Heat. Philly could be trying to elevate to their first finals um, in this era with Embiid finally getting to the finals and Harden getting back for the first time since the Oklahoma City days and Doc getting back for the first time since the Clippers. And you know what I'm saying? Philly being in the finals for the first time in 2001 with AI. Like, so much flips. Um on and off the court by these two organizations. And I think Boston's reeling right now. And I think the differences in the culture showing up. Ime Adoka, while he had his flaws, had his flaws, Ime Adoka was a very defensive-minded coach. Incredibly defensive-minded. That's the why they gave uh, Warriors so much trouble last year. If... Jason Tatum wasn't a turnover machine. They beat the Warriors in the finals last year. And Tatum has a ring. Brown has a ring. He may probably survives whatever happened. And it's like no one, you know, you can't tell that team they're breaking up. They extend Brown. They, you know, they, they, they keep the core together. Like, you know, it's a different outlook in Boston. Tatum goes to the Lord. Because he probably he's the finest in the field. Tatum goes to the Lord. He's in the Larry Bird. He's in the Kevin McHale. He's in the Bill Russell. He, he He's a Paul Pierce. He's a Boston Celtic champion. You know, I think Kevin Garnett won the final. No, Paul Pierce won the final MVP. He's a Boston Celtic champion. He led a Boston Celtics team to the top, right? But they lost that finals. And now they're falling here. But back to my Ime Adoka point, Ime Adoka was a very defensively minded coach. And I think Houston's going to look really good next year. Houston over on the wins is the one of the best bets in the NBA next year. Because they're going to play such good defense. And they have a lot of athletes in Houston already. Now they're going to play defense. Boston played really good defense last year. You had Brown. You had Tatum. You had Robert Williams. Al Horford. Marcus Smart. Pretty much the same team as now, but the lineups were defensively tinkered. Think about it. Smart won DPOI last year. But he was on Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Robert Williams ran a lot together. Grant Williams ran a lot. They play a lot of defense. Joe Mazzula has taken that roster and kind of flipped it. Now, Derek White's getting a lot of that run instead of Marcus Smart. Now, it's Al Horford by himself. Grant Williams by himself. Robert Williams' role has been greatly reduced because Joe Mazzula's looking at offense. He's looking at shooting. They asked him about what's going on on defense and his response was about offense he's an offensive minded coach so he's going to lean and cater to his offensive mind the problem is when an offense fails he had him to fall back on see Yemi Adoka was a defensively minded coach defense is usually effort and scouting right so if you got your effort and your scouting down you can play defense offense that, that ball not going through the hole it don't matter how beautiful the play is the ball don't go in the ball don't go in right and if you can't lean back on defense, you're in a bad spot. And so, I think Boston actually wins game six. And then a lot of pressure goes on Boston to win game seven in the garden. Now, it's hard to win game seven in the, in the garden. If I'm Philly, I'm doing everything I can to end it in six. 
Like, I'm going and beating Harden. Look, 45 minutes, I need it. I need 40 to 45 minutes I need tonight. I have to have it to win this game uh, because I don't want to go back into Boston for game seven. If I'm Joe Mazzula, I'm going to Tatum and Brown. First options, y'all. Second options, y'all. Third option is pass to the other one. And if worse come to worst, then you kick it out to somebody else. And I'm need 40 minutes out of y'all. Like I need, we need to get the game back in the Boston for Game Seven, back into the Garden, the the the, the TD Garden rather. Um, so you have to get it back. Um, I also I think think Boston forces a Game Seven. I just don't. I spoke about Phoenix in this manner. I'm gonna speak about Philly in the same manner. You're counting on too many outliers to happen. Like you're counting on Doc Rivers not choking it away. You count on Harden not choking it away. You count on Embiid to remain healthy. You count on Tobias Harris to be a half decent in the playoffs. And you count on Tyrese Maxey. Young guns usually don't blossom in the playoffs. You get what I'm saying? So, I just think Boston forces it back. Shows that NBA Finals grit. I mean, that team came in 2018 fighting LeBron to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. I just think they just pour it on in Game 6. Get it back into Boston and we'll see what happens. Um, I think Boston ultimately does win this series. Um, I do think they're staring at a dark, dark future if they don't. Um, Philly's future is a little brighter because they keep hard in Philly all's well ends well, right? Um, but Boston's looking at a dark, dark future if they don't win the series. Staying in the East, flipping states, really. Uh, Miami and uh, Miami and New York. Uh, that game just kicked off or tipped off rather. Uh, Miami and New York. This game is going to be a. This game is one of those games. If I'm the Heat, I kind of, I kind of want to win it tonight. Um, it's one of those legacy games. Like Jimmy Butler, playoff Jimmy has become almost like a myth. Someone's becoming like this mythical figure. Like, oh, it's playoff Jimmy. Dominating the Knicks in the Garden gives you one of those moments to shut the Knicks out. Um. Because the Garden, everybody watches the Garden. The Garden is this mythical place, the mecca of basketball. Like, it's definitely a situation where Jimmy has a chance to elevate his stardom even higher. I don't think he's a superstar. I don't. Um, I think he's a star. But, like, I, I play off Jimmy's a superstar. But that's a month and a half out of a seven-month season or an eight-month season. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't think he's a superstar player. But this could be a superstar moment for him. So I look for him to take advantage tonight. I think the Knicks fight it off. I think I don't think the Knicks lose at home. It's really hard to close a team out. It's very hard to close them out in at home, especially when they're taking an L at home. Um, I just don't think the Knicks fall tonight, but I do think they fall game six in Miami. And in the series, everyone is watching. Warriors, Lakers, Curry, LeBron, uh, and Lonnie Walker um, made a guest appearance. This is a game. This is a series where the Lakers have done everything right so far. They went in and stole game one. They even fought off the first little wave in game one. They gave you God a hand. Then they held serve at home. They had a big moment where the Warriors' big three over the last three minutes basically collapsed. Curry missed some threes. Clay missed some threes. Draymond had a bad turnover. Curry had an awful turnover. Um, And so they get it back. Now it's in Golden State. Look, we all know what's about to happen in Golden State. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. It is about to be a three-point barrage from the Golden State Warriors. They're about to fire off 
dynast dynastic saving level amount of shots. Dynastic saving, what do you mean? The dynasty's on the line tonight. It is. It's on the line tonight because of the CBA and of Jordan Poole's contract. The dynasty's on the line tonight. Draymond Green reportedly wants his money. He's made that pretty decently clear through points. Jordan Poole, the worst contract in the West, because it starts next year. That extension, yeah, that, that $140 million extension, whatever he got, starts next year. Horrible contract in the NBA. Okay, it's the worst in the NBA, because at least Ben Simmons is nearly unseeable now. Jordan Poole's contract starts next year. You have a problem in Golden State. The timeline's off. Badly. They tried to thread the needle with going young and old. Now, they pulled it off last year, but mainly because the Celtics folded. Then they doubled down on it this year. Then they had to start paying the young. Paying the Jordan Poole. Moses Moody wants his minutes. Kamingo wants his minutes. Right? They had to move Wiseman. This is a dynasty-saving game. I think this is the last run for the Warriors, regardless of what happens. But I think when you get to that next level of the CBA, that luxury tax is going to be so painful, they can't do it. They can't bring back the team. Draymond, Clay, and Poole, and Wiggins are the movable pieces. You're never moving Clay. You're never moving Steph. And I think because of the splash brother situation, you're never moving Clay. So I think the three tradable pieces are Wiggins, Poole, and Draymond. Let your sign and trade Draymond to get assets back. Although the new signings, the new CBA, sign and trade is pretty much out for a team with that luxury tax structure. You either bring Draymond back for pennies. I'm talking like $3 million. You allow him to walk. You're in the mid-level exception. That's pretty much your ways of Draymond's future. Or you trade Jordan Poole. Or you trade Andrew Wiggins. But those, that five isn't returning. One, if not two of them, have to go. So, somebody, the people playing for their lives tonight. Because if Andrew Wiggins has a bad game, the Warriors faithful may turn on Wiggins and take it Wiggins should sipped out. Draymond Green has a two, four, and three with five foul kind of game and the Lakers dominate and he gets attacked and all kind of stuff. Warriors faithful may have had it up. And say, okay, just, just get, get rid of him. Jordan Poole is having tension in the locker room. He's been crying in his locker. Her reports, he didn't answer. He, he didn't look at the media when he answered his media questions. He was playing music in the locker room when he turned his music off. The entire locker room where the local Warriors reporter looked that direction to listen to what he had to say because of how tight the, that the guest locker room is in the crypto.com area, the whole... Wiggins and all the crew looked at Jordan Poole to listen to what he had to say. Like, there's tension there. He signed a new deal, $140 million. Got punched in the face a few couple weeks later. You know what I'm saying? The tension's been there ever since. When he's playing great, he wants his burn. When he's playing badly, he wants his burn to get outside playing great again. Um, so there's definitely tension there. On the Lakers side, endless tonight. Look, if you're the Lakers end it tonight, get them out, get a week off. Because I do think that Denver's going to have to go seven with Phoenix. I just don't see Phoenix losing at home. So, get in, get some time off. At minimum, you got four or five days off. 
get LeBron off his feet, get AD off their feet, get those guys resting for those young guys, get their shots up. They didn't really shoot necessarily well. Get some shots up. If you're a Schroeder, if you're a Russell, if you're a Reeves, if you're a, um, I would say Poole, if you're a Russell, you're a Reeves, you're, you're a Schroeder, you're a um, Beasley, you're a Rui. Um, go in there and get some shots up. Tristan Thompson, stay in shape. LeBron and AD, go sit down. <laughs> get off your feet. Go rest. Um, because game six, once you lose, and I've heard a lot of guys say it, once you lose game five, the pressure immediately flips. Because you go from, we're fighting off, especially the Warriors, they have home court. So we're fighting off elimination in game five. Everything we're doing is fighting off in game five. We fought it off. Whew. Now you got to go in there building for game six. But now they got to hold home court. Because everybody knows if you come back to my building for game seven, all the pressure's on you to not blow a 3-1 lead. And we're playing free with house money. Because we're supposed to be going two games ago. We stayed, we stayed it off. We're back at home. We're back in our bed. We're back to doing our regular routine. All the pressure's on you. So that's what I'm saying. If you're the Lakers, end this tonight. If I'm Darvin Ham, I go to LeBron. Hey, remember the old 44-minute rotation you had back in the gap? I'm going to need that out you. I'm going to need a whole first quarter, two minutes of the second you rest, maybe two and a half when I had a game flow going, whole second quarter, Whole third quarter, we're still here breaking into the third quarter, about a minute and a half left, and we give you about a minute and a half into the third, into the fourth quarter. Then we get an extended break with the, t- with the TV timeout, and then it quarter break. We need about 44 minutes out you. AD, I'm need about 44 minutes out you. You'll, you'll, you'll get your break a little early. So you'll go first quarter for eight minutes, get your break. You come out, you come in, LeBron goes out. Y'all run together for a long time. Then Bron sits, you, you know what I'm saying, rotating in that way. One of y'all be on the court at all time. Whoever's on the court, the offense runs through. Damn the rest of them. Y'all need 50 shots. 25 shots apiece. 50 shots between two of y'all. Um, We're we going to live in down y'all tonight. I mean, that's just how it's got to be if you're the Lakers. You have no choice in the situation. You have to get the Warriors. In my opinion, you have to get the Warriors out tonight. Because sending them. Now, do I think LeBron and AD hold serve at game six? I do. They haven't lost in the, in the postseason yet in a home game. I don't see it starting now. But why tempt fate? You know what I'm saying? So, if I'm the Lakers, I end this tonight. I get the Warriors out tonight. I don't play with them. I get them out tonight. Um, couple of quick hitters before we actually go into some pretty important news. Um, that actually will actually bump the All-NBA stuff to best for last. Um, so actually, we won't go into any important news. We won't go to the big news of tonight's situation. We'll bump. Uh, all NBA stuff to best for last, but you had uh, JJ Redick uh, interviewed for the Toronto Raptors head coaching job. Uh, Coach K has joined the NBA as a special advisor to the commissioner, I believe is his special title. Um, Victor Winbinyama, overall, overwhelmingly favorite first overall pick, is not going to be at the NBA combine due to the European basketball playoff schedule. His team's still in it, so he'll be there. Um, and, of course, the incident with Nikola Jokic and Phoenix Suns owner Matt Ishbia. Jokic just found 25K. I'm sure Matt Ishbia got a warning from the NBA and the commissioner. Stop touching players. You're not here to be the show. You're here to own the team, basically. Um, but that is the quick hitters for the NBA. And now we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield.
Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to discuss the NFL and what's happening with the Shield. Um, so not a whole lot, admittedly, is going on in the NFL right now. Oh, you had some dark stuff get cleared up. And the NFL, but the NFL is dropping some scheduling nuggets. Um, because the full schedule comes out, I believe, tomorrow. So when you guys hear this podcast, the full schedule for all of your teams more than likely will be out. Um, the NFL, it's out tomorrow night, actually. So it's a big scheduling event on the NFL Network. It's a three-hour thing where they release the schedules um, for everybody. But little nuggets have been leaking out. And the NFL has confirmed the international series. They have also confirmed some of the holiday games. Um, so the international series this year, uh, three Londons, two Germanys, no Mexico game this year. Uh, I know they play in uh, Estadio Azteca, which is actually like a, a mile and a half high or something like that above sea level. So it's a really big oxygen game for people. Um, but no Mexico game this year. It's three London games and two Germany games. Um, so in London, starting in week four, they're going to go back to back to back. So Falcons, Jags, week four in London. Then the Jaguars become the second team ever to play back-to-back games overseas. Or back-to-back games in London. So they will end up, they'll be the home team against the Falcons. And they'll be the road team, quote-unquote, against the Bills in London in week five. And then the Ravens and the Titans come into London week six. Um, it's a very interesting scheduling quirk. Advantage for the Jags. For one, the Jags go over there every year. They're London's team. Like At first, when they first went over there, uh, most of the jerseys on the team was for the kickers because over there, they, they're, they're big sports soccer. So most of the jerseys on the team was for the kickers and the punters because they kicked the ball. So then, and you saw jerseys of every kind. You saw like, you know, you saw the superstar, you saw the Brady jerseys or whatever, but the Brady jerseys, uh, man, it wasn't around, but like you saw the Brady, the Rodgers, the Breeze, whatever, the jerseys over there. But the most popular jersey for a specific team was the kicker and the punter. As the NFL did more events over there, as the NFL bit more popular, whatever, then the stars jerseys had to come out. So then it was like the second year they went, it was like a, um, a melting pot of jerseys. It was color, it was all the colors were in there. The crowd was changing from both sides. It was a very, that was the home field advantage. By the third year, the Jaguars, because Jaguars went every year, the third year the Jaguars came through, it was a legitimate home crowd in, in London. It was such a legitimate home crowd in London for the Jaguars that it was a very real discussion that the Jaguars may move. It got to the point people were like, oh yeah, the Jaguars are going to go to London. Like, they had to move to London because they had developed a real fan base there. People were not only cheering for the punter, they were cheering for the Jags. They would outsell, the London game would outsell the Jaguars home games every year. It got to a point where people legitimately wondered aloud, would the Jaguars move to London? Uh, ultimately, due to schedule, due to flights and stuff like that, um, and travel, the NFL went against it. And then the, t- the TV time slot, being the fact of they did, they had to play games at really weird London times to make American TV work, um, because again they play at like middle, maybe like four or so in London, because the game usually ends right before dusk. So they play like four or so in London. It's eight thirty a.m. Central Time. Um, it's 6.30 a.m. West Coast, and they're from, like, middle of the day in London. So in order for them to play at a half-decent American time, they'd have to kick off all their games at, like, 8 o'clock p.m. local London time, and then they'd be, like, the 1 o'clock slot here. Um, and so that's something that they would have to consider along with travel. Like, Seattle to New York is bad, but imagine 
you're you're the play for the London. They renamed them the London Knights. Um, I was a team of Madden, the London and Black Knights. You you play for the Black Knights. Um, and you're in London. You got a, got a home stand in London. Dope. But then you go from London to Seattle. Then you play another home game in London. Then you go from London to LA. Well, that'd be the Jaguars. So you go from London to Indy. Then if you have a back-to-back road games, do you just stay in the States? Do you just say, screw it? We'll stay in the States. We'll go, we'll play Indy. And then we'll fly down to Miami. And we'll play Miami. And then once we play Miami, we never got to go back home. So we'll fly home to London. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Like, that's a lot of flights. That would demand every player in the NFL have a passport. Some of the people in the NFL have records. Some of the staff members have records. What happens if they have a record and can't get a passport? Now that player can't go on this team. You know what I'm saying? So it opens up a big can of worms uh, for sure. Now, I think they have special work visas you could get if you can't obtain a passport. But that comes up a whole other can of worms. But regardless, the Jaguars are London team now. So them being over there in London for a week, they're going to get a that's second home for them. Um, they You don't have to go into the huge. They don't have to go into Buffalo. They don't have to go to Buffalo for one. They have a legitimate home field in in London. And they're going to be over there for a week. So Buffalo might fly over on Wednesday or Thursday. They're going to have to get their body clocks right for two days to even get their bodies ready to play. And their bodies will feel that early in the morning. Their body's going to feel like it's 9.30 in the morning they're playing football. Jacksonville won't have that problem. Because they'll A, they're used to it. They have the London schedule down pat. B, they'll be over there for a week. They're not going to go there and fly back and come back. They're going to stay in London for a week. Um, so their body's going to be all the way adjusting. They might have an issue when they come back to the States getting their bodies back. But they're going to be all the way adjusting by the time they get um, to the Buffalo Bills game. So a huge advantage for them. And, of course, third London game, Ravens and the Titans. Um, so that'll be fun as well. Um, and then they take a break. So that third London game is week six. Then they take a three-week break or two-week break. And then week nine, they start going to Germany. So the Miami Dolphins play the Chiefs um, in week nine in Germany. And then the Colts play the Pats uh, week 10 in Germany. So um, Germany was, I think, the last place to get a game. So London was first, and then they went to Mexico. Uh, and then Germany got a couple of games. Uh, they may end up doing an Asian game at one point, but I'm not sure the logistics of that situation. But uh, NFL Europe was a thing. So they're trying to tie back into the NFL European roots, playing in some popular NFL Europe town. Like London had a team, Frankfurt had a team, Munich, I think, had a team. Uh, I think they want to play in Barcelona a couple of games. They're trying to tie those old European NFL Europe roots back into the NFL. Uh, but the international series is always fun. It's always very interesting because the times are weird for America. So, like, you'll wake up at 8 30 in the morning and there's football on. You know, like there's football being kicked off, and you're like, oh, crap. It's the best day. It's from 8.30 a.m. to 10.30, 11.30 p.m. It's just football. You get the exclusive primetime game to start, the exclusive prime, the exclusive game to start, exclusive game to end, and then a whole bunch of games in the middle. Um, so there's, you know, six weeks uh, or five weeks, rather, of international games where it's just a crazy time. It started at 8.30 in the morning, and we just play ball. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, NFL, the NFL International Series this year. They got some good games this year. None of them are snooze fests. Um, I think probably the snooziest one potentially could be Colts Pats. Um, depending on the Patriots offense, depending on the development of Anthony Richardson. But 
um, none of the rest of them should be slow. Being that game, international series games, because that travel is so weird, because your body is so weird, because everything's so weird, those are usually the high-scoring games because, you know, something's off a little bit, your body clock's a little off, and, you know, people start getting big passes and big runs, and the crowd reacts differently, and stuff you're used to just isn't there. It's a, it's a very interesting game. It usually is pretty decently high-scoring, unless it's Jacksonville. Jacksonville plays regular games over there because they play regular games over there. Um, so, definitely will be interesting. And then uh, they announced a couple of holiday games, too. Christmas Eve. The NFL will be on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, and the it will be on first-ever Black Friday game. will feature the Dolphins going to Aaron Rodgers. Um, and so... That will be um, the NFL holiday schedule. And, of course, we'll get more of it um, tomorrow when the NFL do their schedule release show. All right. Now, shifting into the future, um, just quickly. So, a list came out a few days ago about the best quarterbacks in um, next year's draft. Um, Highlighted, of course, by Caleb Williams. He's easily uh, the best player in next year's draft, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, easily the best player in next year's draft. He's the number one overall pick. There's no fans or buts about it. The tank, the tankathon expected for Caleb Williams will be real. I think Vegas is gonna get in it. Or they didn't draft Will Levis. They might not get in it, but Caleb Williams is gonna make some teams question their decisions. Um, for instance. Tennessee, no, Tennessee got Will Levis. Yeah, so Vegas' real quarterback on the roster is Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get hurt by October 1st. We know this. What if Vegas just punts and go get Caleb Williams? And Josh McDaniel goes up to the ownership and goes to the general manager and say, look, man, we get that kid. That's the best quarterback prospect in, since Mahomes. Well, prospect probably earlier than Mahomes. Like, we know this kid's untouchable. We know he's this elite player. We know it already. Hey, we can sign him before the draft. Cut all the drama out. Put number two on the clock. Screw it. Um, give me a chance with him. You know what I'm saying? Um, trying to think of some other situations. Seattle? Geno Smith's not the guy. That's not the long-term answer there. What if they say, you know, they end up packaging. What if Geno Smith comes back down to Geno Smith and they go 5-11, and 5-12, and they end up packaging Two, three firsts, a couple seconds, whatever, and go get Caleb Williams to go play in Seattle. They got everything else. They just don't have, you know what I'm saying? They would, they would at that point, wouldn't have a quarterback. Um, and I'm sure there's some other situations I'm just not thinking of right now. Tampa Bay, you know, Baker Mayfield is the long term answer. What if they go do it? Um, that pretty much calls that division Carolina. Atlanta doesn't have a long term solution quarterback. What if they go do it? You know, so the Caleb Williams tankathon will be legit. And I think the team that will control it, Chicago, Bills plays bad again, they're going to need a quarterback. Chicago may do it. But I think the team that's going to control the draft is the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals have a quarterback. Unfortunately for them, that quarterback's hurt right now. Now, he's squatting ridiculous amount of weight. So maybe he comes back earlier than expected. But ACL recovery, you said about 24 months to come all the way back. You can play in 12. You can play at 8-10. But to bounce back all the way, trust your body, get your body right, whatever, it takes about 24 months, two years, or you're 18 months, a year and a half. He popped in the middle of last season, in the last season, so all that year, plus all of next season, 
Then that next season, you'll see Kyler Murray again, right? What if they go three and fourteen, and they end up number one or number two? Or what if they end up two and fifteen and they end up number one? What then? They have a quarterback. Do you say screw Kyler? Who takes Kyler contract? Or do you hold somebody ransom for number one? I mean, just absolutely hold somebody ransom. What about New England? It's not a Bill Belichick move at all. What about New England? They're starting to put all the pieces in place that a superstar quarterback will need. What about New England? Kayla Williams is going to decide the draft next year. I think whoever gets him is going to make a major move. I think someone's going to mortgage their future for him because I have an odd feeling that whoever ends up with number one won't need him. And so then at that point, it opens up the floodgate um, for trade possibilities. I say Arizona would be the team I'd watch because Kyler may miss half the year next year. They may start off 1-7, 1-8. Kyler wins a couple games. They go three and fourteen, but they end up with the number one pick anyway. You have a quarterback. You trade it. You trade it to uh, I don't know Vegas for three firsts. No, Vegas for two firsts, three seconds, and a third, and a couple of players. And all of a sudden, you hit a pick, hit a pick, hit a pick, miss, hit, miss, hit. Out of those six players, seven players in the top hundred in the next two drafts, you hit five of them. Now you got a real team in Arizona, and you got your quarterback. And so that is who I will keep an eye on if I am the league. I keep an eye on Arizona next year um, because they gain additional assets through the draft anyway. So we'll see what they'll be able to do. And shifting gears to a little gambling advice. Um, Over-under bets are out. Uh, These odds are by CBS Sports, but they're pretty much consistent across the board. So you'll be able to get these numbers at a lot of different places. Um, But... Five numbers jumped out at me immediately that I would hammer at the betting lines uh, before people wise up to them. And that'd be the Panthers under seven and a half. Seven and a half wins for the number one overall pick is ambitious. That division is not good, but they've got great defensive coaches in there. Dennis Allen in New Orleans, it's veteran defense with Derek Carr. They're going to beat them twice. Tampa Bay. That's how it bowls. He's going to make his money on confusing Bryce Young. And Atlanta has Arthur Smith as the OC, but they have a pretty solid defense. A lot of playmakers on that defense. They invested heavily into it. I mean, the Panthers might win one division game all year. Maybe two. You still got to get five and a half. You got to get six more wins out of that schedule. I don't, I don't see that happening. So the Panthers under seven and a half. Cowboys over nine and a half. That felt disrespectful. Um, and the reason why is nine and a half wins. Okay, Philly's going to be tough twice, but they should beat the Giants. They split with the Giants, and they should handle the Commanders twice. So that's three wins. So he's going to be out the rest of the season. That Cowboys offense can't get you seven. I mean, that's a that's a good team. The Cowboys are top 10, 10 in the NFL. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't get nine and a half wins. Texans over five and a half. Don't necessarily love this, but I'm looking at the division. Tennessee is going to be either starting Will Levis or a panicking Ryan Tannehill. Okay. D'Amico Ryan is in there. He's now building a culture, setting up a standard, establishing things there, especially defensively. They've got uh, C.J. Stroud, my favorite quarterback in the draft, and they got Will Anderson. So they got their offense and their defensive leaders in the building. D'Amico Ryan is a man. He's going to lead them in, uh, correctly in Houston. Um, I'm looking at Tennessee. 
They're going to have either Will Levis or Ryan Tannehill. I'm looking at Indy. They're going to be starting Anthony Richardson. And then I'm looking at Jacksonville. So they might lose to Jacksonville twice, but there's no reason why they can't get two wins out of the other four. Maybe even get a, a sweep the Colts situation. And then you would only have to get three more wins. Um, so I think Houston's going to go about seven and ten this year, so over five and a half. I think Las Vegas is going to be drafting uh, in the contention of draft Caleb Williams, so under seven and a half them. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be hurt by October 1st, is what I'm saying. So I'm going to be in a bad spot there quarterback-wise. They don't, I mean, they got Devontae Adams, but that's about it as far as time. Josh Jacobs is right there. Mad Max. They got some decent Chandler Jones. They got decent talent. Linebackers and corners suck. Um, don't believe in the offensive line and don't believe in their quarterback's health. So seven and a half feels ambitious. Plus, you're in the same division as the Kansas City Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, and the Los Angeles Chargers. You're going to finish fourth. I don't see that fourth place team winning eight games. So under for the Vegas Raiders and the New England Patriots over seven and a half felt like stealing Canyon from a baby. Bill Belichick's going to go three and three in the division. It's just going to it's just going to happen. So he's telling me they can't get five wins out of you know me eight and nine is not gonna happen for the Patriots. Yeah, okay. Um you think the Jets are gonna just mesh automatically with prickly Aaron Rodgers and all that situation in New York? Okay. So uh, the Patriots over seven and a half, I would hammer the soul out of that um if you were to place that bet. But up next, we're gonna shift back to the NBA and talk about the all NBA teams that were just announced and with the impact on what it could mean for a couple of big time players. Welcome back into the show and into Best for Last. Like I said, when I first started recording, the All-NBA teams were just announced. Now we're going to talk about them and their impact. Um, and with some looks at what could be next season's changing. So, the All-NBA teams, we're going to start off with this year, the impact of future, and then the changes coming to the All-NBA team next year. So, the All-NBA first team um, led by the MVP, of course, Joel Embiid, uh, Oklahoma City, Shea Gilders, Alexander, the Mavericks is Luka Doncic, the Celtics, Jason Tatum, and from the Bucks, um, Yandis Antetokounmpo. Second team, uh, the MVP runner-up, Nikola Jokic, Golden State, Stephen Curry, Miami's Jimmy Butler, Boston back up again with Jalen Brown, and Cleveland's Donovan Mitchell. And the third team uh, for the 19th all his 19th his record 19th All NBA selection, uh, Lakers LeBron James, Knicks Julius Randle, Kings Demonis Sabonis, Portland's Damian Lillard, and again Kings guard De'Aaron Fox. Uh, some notable snubs including Anthony Davis, Klay Thompson, John Morant, Jamal Murray, and others. Okay. What does this mean? So I'm going to talk about the bad, the bad side of this and the good side of this. If you're a Boston Celtics fan, you should be cheering abhorrently right now. For the Memphis Grizzlies, let's start from the negative. Let's start from the negative. 
So, what this means is by not being selected to All-NBA this season, Jamal Murray and John Morant are no longer eligible for the Supermax contract. Uh, because in the Supermax, so what these guys do, they sign the five-year, $196 million, but has a max value of 221-ish, 230-ish, with a rookie Supermax extension, if they were to hit the certain escalators, the Rose Rule escalators. Um, the first Supermax, stuff called the Fundamax, is the 25% of the cap. The second max is like the 35-ish percent of the cap. Um, and so that extension, Zion, it was Zion, Jamal Murray, and John Morant were the three big ones this year. Zion, of course, injuries kept him out of it. Jamal Murray just wasn't that great this year, and the guards were insane. And then John Morant would have been All-NBA, but he had the incident and the suspension. I think pretty much people stopped, didn't vote for him in. Otherwise, he missed. So, all three of those guys missed on the Supermax rookie kickers. The rookie Supermax kickers. Um, that would give them another 30, 35-ish million dollars into their pockets. None of them get it. So, they'll, their contracts would be five years, 196-ish, instead of two years. Instead of five years, 230-ish. Um, so, that's the negative. But, gosh darn it, if you're the Boston Celtics celebrate. Because you, you pretty much figured Jason Tatum was going to be a guy. He, he didn't make All-NBA this year. He was never going to not make All-NBA, so you mentally prepared for his Supermax, um, which he'll be able to sign next season. Um, and the Supermax for Jalen, uh, for Jason Tatum is five years, $318 million, which he'll be eligible to sign July of next year. Um, so, of course, he'll do the opt-outs, whatever. whatever. He'll sign his five years, $318 million contract. Um, which, if you're wondering, um, one second, let me do a little math here. Uh, if you're wondering, $318 million uh, divided by five is $63.6 million on average per year. The issue came up, and we've noticed it a lot this season. Several people have comments on it. What are the Celtics going to do with Jalen Brown? Because if Jalen Brown doesn't get all NBA, there's no incentive. Besides an extra year, and he's young, there's no incentive staying in Boston. Because in Boston actually loses some of the advantage with the bird rights and the CBA. And then they get tricky on what they can do financially. And what if Brown decides, I'm going to go to Houston with Emma Adoka and be their number one guy. And, you know, a lot of stuff could happen if they won the Supermax. The Supermax was going to be the big, big, big kicker um, to if the... Celtics could keep Jalen Brown because his Supermax extension came this year. If he didn't make it, he was going to be in the category of field, of field to achieve it. So instead of 90, 295, he'd be at, you know, 212, 220 something. And then at that point, why am I sticking around in Boston? But Jalen Brown, as we discussed, made all NBA second team. Um, and so he comfortably made it on an all NBA team. Which means he's not eligible to sign a five-year, $295 million Supermax extension this offseason. Meaning that the Celtics will have to commit 613, I believe was the number-ish million, yeah, $613 million over five years, or six years total, to those two guys to keep them. Now, in the CBA, you can have more than two uh, Supermax contracts. The issue is that's 70% of your cap. So, because you're not going to really jettison off any players first, you're going to be in that upper level of the luxury tax where the Warriors and the Clippers find themselves at now. 
What that does is that strongly restricts what you can do. You can't send out cash and trades. Your mid-level exception is basically nothing. Um, how you extend contracts and restructure them changes drastically. Your two-way contract ability goes basically to nothing. Um, it, it severely punishes you for being a high spender. Boston has a problem now because you're if you don't come out and flat out offer Jalen Brown the Supermax, he's not staying because now he's eligible for it. If you offer it to him and he accepts it, now you're in a bad spot because you're gonna you're gonna have to supermax out Tatum, and then you have little to no flexibility to build a roster around those two. Um, so you're gonna have to hit on draft picks. Golden State jumped through a, a threaded a elephant through a needle because they were able they got injured. Steph, Clay, and those guys were injured. So then they end up picking really high. They got Wiseman and Moody and Kaminga and those guys, and they end up hitting on pool later in the draft. And so they were able to kind of revamp their bench through the draft. That's not a common thing for a championship contending team because you're picking in the late 20s. Those picks may or may not work out. They're more than likely G League guys. You're probably trying to fill in your bench with veterans who've been there before. Um, and so they were... The Warriors are in a very unique spot. They're in an interesting spot this year anyway, like we spoke about earlier, with Draymond, Poole, Wiggins, and Clay, financially. So Boston's now in a similar spot. They're going to have two Supermax contracts on their books in 12 months, or 15 months. They're going to have two Supermax contracts on their books. And then they're going to be very limited what Brad Stevens and the rest of that uh, front office can do in terms of building a roster around them. But, uh, so that's what we're going to keep our eye on in Boston. I think if Brown didn't get Supermax eligible, he was leaving Boston. Um, but now that he did Supermax eligible, I think Boston just Supermaxes him out and tries to figure out how to build a roster around them. Um, cross that bridge of 14 months kind of thing. Um, but there's a couple of significant changes coming to the NBA next year regarding the All-NBA team. For one, it's going positionless. So, DeMontis Sabonis... Um, DeMontis Sabonis isn't going so like this year. DeMontis Sabonis got in pretty much as a center. And he got in because they needed a third center, right? Next year, the All-NBA teams are going positionless. The five best players are on the first team. The second five are going to be on the second team. And the third five are going to be on the fourth team, on the third team. So I think to me, like for instance, Sabonis is coming out. Randall to me is probably coming out. I think you're going to get a lot more guards in because the NBA is a guard league right now. I think you're going to get a lot more guards in next year that's not going to get squeezed out by a subhonus who needs to be in there. Um, thanks to, because he's the third center. Uh, I think they're going to squeeze a lot of people out. Also, another big change is, remember the 65-game minimum is coming in next year because the All-NBA is an individual award. So the 65-game minimum will have to be met in order to be eligible for an, all, for an individual award. Under that premise, under that rule, Jimmy Butler, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, and LeBron James would not make the all not be eligible for the All-NBA teams because Jimmy Butler played 64, Giannis played 63, Damian Lillard played 58, Steph Curry played 57, LeBron played 55. So those guys would be short of the All-NBA team, not because they were not deserving, but because they would not have played the amount of games necessary for eligibility for an individual award after the season. This was put in place 
Because, you know, guys would play 47 games to be in the MVP discussion. It's like, dude, you miss half the season. How can you possibly be an MVP? Um, how could you possibly be All-NBA? You know, there's the guy that played 80 games in a year. Jokic and Pete is always a big case. Jokic was playing 80 games a year. Embiid's playing 50. There's no way you could put Embiid and MVP over Jokic. Um, and so that would be a situation where, you know, those five guys – Four absolute superstars. Three absolute superstars for sure. One French superstar and one certified star, Jimmy Butler. Um, would not be all NBA eligible. So who's getting those spots? Anthony Davis couldn't get it. He's not eligible. Clay Thompson couldn't get it. He's not eligible. So that third team would get really interesting. Like Sabonis would make it probably because he played enough games. And that third team would get really interesting in terms of talent, who's on it, who would even be eligible for it kind of thing. Uh, would be interesting with that third team. But that is all we have for today. Thank you for sticking around with me. Uh, you guys are here this Thursday morning. I'm recording it Wednesday evening. Um, so you guys are here this Thursday morning. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday. As always, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and sh- like, like, rate, subscribe, and share to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to uh, follow and turn on the post notifications on all social medias for breaking news updates and sometimes my general thoughts. Um, and of course, podcast news as well. Well, this is your owner and host.